Welcome to part one of the ABCs of mental health, having the mind of Christ. Life is difficult. So writes Scott Peck in his classic book, The Road Less Traveled. He goes on to write that this is a great truth, one of the greatest truths, and who would disagree? The same theme is echoed throughout Scripture. In the Psalms, we are told that the best of years is but trouble and sorrow. And even Jesus indicated that in this world you would have trouble. We don't need only to pick up the newspaper or peruse the internet and find that for many in this world, and maybe for a lot of you, this is certainly true. The poet W.H. Auden called our modern age the age of anxiety, and he was right. Stress has had a significant debilitating effect on our culture. How debilitating? Well, consider some of these statistics. Most of the research suggests that anywhere from 60 to 90% of doctor visits are stress-related. 77% of people regularly experience physical symptoms caused by stress. 73% of people regularly experience psychological symptoms caused by stress, and approximately 55 million, or one in six Americans, take some type of psychiatric medication. Now, moreover, we are living through a pandemic, which by most emerging measures has exasperated our already high level of stress, with increased domestic abuse, child abuse, substance abuse, depression, and suicide. A recent report from the CDC reports elevated levels of adverse mental health conditions like substance abuse and suicidal ideation were reported by adults in the United States in June 2020. The prevalence of symptoms of anxiety disorder was approximately three times of those reported in the second quarter of 2019. And the prevalence of depressive disorder was approximately four times that reported in the second quarter of 2019. In addition, the CDC reported that during the pandemic, people who seriously contemplated killing themselves had doubled from the previous year. So stress is here to stay and growing. Now, as a psychologist for over 40 years, I've spent a good part of my life studying how stress affects people and what to do to help them. I've counseled with every type of person and every type of problem, and with people from every type of socioeconomic, racial, and religious background, from CEOs to high school dropouts. And for every person, without exception, they're not quite sure what happened to them or how they got there. They do know, however, that they are in pain and want relief, no matter what the problem. For any, if not most, who see me, there is a sense of embarrassment, even, even some reluctance. They never thought they would sit down and share their life, their deepest hurts, with a stranger. But they're willing to take the risk because their pain is significant. Now, during our first counseling session together, I frequently try to address these feelings by indicating that I've sat where they've sat. Because I've seen a counselor myself and know how hard it is to come and see somebody. 
Occasionally, they may express that they feel like damaged goods. And in those cases, I point out that it would be more helpful to see themselves as a car that is either not running smoothly or has stopped. I explain that our goal is to get them back on the road and going again, and that I can help them make some adjustments, and together we can get things up and running. Now, during this part, I'd like for you to think of your life as a car. Let's look at this analogy more closely and see how it applies to our lives. Like all cars, our lives at some point experience trouble. And like most owners, we don't know what's wrong or even how to fix it. But with the help of someone else, we can together look under the hood and refer to the owner's manual when needed and make some necessary adjustments. Like a car, our life is well designed by the creator, the creator of the universe. And the owner's manual, which he has written, is the word of God, the Bible. Because of this, our life goes best when we correctly understand how we are made emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. Or in other words, we will live our lives more fully if we care for our life and live it in a way consistent with how we were meant to live. Let me repeat that. We will live our lives more fully if we care for our life and live it in a way that is consistent with how we were meant to live. Let me illustrate. Frequently, people are depressed or increasingly anxious, but they're not sure why. Upon sharing more about their lives, we may find, for example, that they've been in a loveless marriage for many years and have never told anybody. Or somebody may have been sexually or physically abused as a child, and they kept it a secret for a long time. Many times, people don't make the connection between an event or the events in their lives and how they're feeling. But even more important, they may never have looked under the hood, if you will, to discover how their view of these events themselves or God influenced their emotional reactions. To under, better understand ourselves and how we operate, we need a simple but effective way to unpack all this. And the remainder of our time together, that's what we'll do. To start, we need to understand the fundamentals or the ABCs so we can better understand how to fully live. There are three major components of living that make up the difficulties we experience and ultimately our mental health. Although I use some clinical sounding terms, we'll be able to relate quickly these terms to our lives. They are A, for activating events in our life that cause distress. C, for consequential emotions arising from these events. And B, for the beliefs about ourselves, the world, and God that shape our emotions. These, then, are the ABCs or the foundation of our mental and spiritual health. Let's start with activating events, those events that affect us. Typically, we pursue counseling because something has happened to us, which is upsetting. We can't seem to get over it. Maybe there's been a job loss or a financial setback or even the loss of a loved one. In some cases, there may have been a broken relationship with someone we love. 
At times, it may be even a growing sense of sadness or anxiety, which may be related to emerging memories or situations that cause regrets and that stem from offenses taken, or even the kind of abuse we experience sometimes, either physically, emotionally, or both. In any case, the resulting emotions are upsetting. These, therefore, are called activating events because they seem to upset our emotions or they activate our painful emotions. Now, in some cases, an activating event can indirectly affect us. Let me explain. Sometimes people can say or do things which normally wouldn't upset us, but do. It could be the tone of voice or something said that may be minor, but for some reason, it sets us off and stirs us up inside. For example, our wife or husband may raise their voice or become silent when there is a disagreement. In counseling, as we begin to look under the hood of our life, we may discover that when we were growing up, our mom or dad reacted to us in the same way as a child, and it was very upsetting. Not only that, we may discover that when our spouse does the same thing, it reminds us of what our mom and dad did all too well, and those feelings upset us again, but this time when they are done by our spouse. We call these memories indirect activating events. Now, another more concrete example of an indirect activating event may be a slight chest pain, which immediately results in a sense of panic. But why? Because for those who have had a heart attack, it reminds them of the heart attack they had earlier. Whatever the case may be, whether direct or indirect, an activating event can be upsetting and it can lead to consequential emotions. What are consequential emotions? Put simply, consequential emotions are the consequence of upsetting events or memories in our lives and include a wide range of upsetting feelings such as anger, sadness, loneliness, anxiety, confusion, and even guilt. For example, say a boss criticizes the job we did. We may feel hurt or embarrassed or even angry. Or maybe we have an argument with our spouse and we feel guilty or angry or even down. The feelings we have in both situations are the consequence of what happened. So what do we do? If we're like some people, we might think to ourselves, well, if I work harder and better, I can improve my job and gain my boss's favor. Or maybe even after an argument with our spouse, we might think, I probably do need to listen to them more and not be so touchy. Or we might call a friend and tell them about what happened with our boss and how we feel that his criticism was unfair and that he's always been difficult to work with and that he's always had it in for us. Or again, in the case of the argument with our spouse, we might share with our friend that our spouse has never understood us and that they can be impossible to live with. Or in either situation, we might even take what I call the Scarlett O'Hara gone with the wind approach and say to ourselves like Scarlett O'Hara did in Gone with the Wind, I'm not going to think about it because tomorrow is another day. And finally, we may do what an increasing number of people do, go and take an extra pill of the pain reliever 
that our doctor prescribed, or maybe have four glasses of wine that night instead of the usual one glass. Whatever we do, it becomes apparent upon closer inspection that it seems we only have two options. One, we can try to change what happened so we don't let it happen again, or we can try to change how we feel so we don't feel bad. Now, the serenity prayer, which some of you may be familiar with, says this well, and it goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. But this is hard to do. And if you're like me, this is probably why most of us initially are emotionally reactive rather than constructively proactive. Even so, our emotional reactions can be dealt with in either a helpful or harmful way. When we seek out a counselor or a confidant to share how we feel, this can help us feel better about ourselves and our situation. By sharing our painful feelings with an empathic listener who is supportive and caring, we realize that we are not alone and can develop new ways to handle our difficult circumstances. That's why this is very helpful and very proactive. On the other hand, trying to feel better can sometimes and many times do more harm than good. Typically, there are three ways we try to make ourselves feel better. Number one, we stuff our painful emotions. Number two, we dump our painful emotions. And number three, we numb our painful emotions. First of all, when we stuff our feelings, we ignore them or pretend that they do not exist. And in so doing, we never even acknowledge them. Again, this is what we just mentioned earlier, the Scarlet O'Hara gone with the wind approach. And we do this for different reasons. We feel others do not want to be burdened with our feelings, or maybe we believe that certain feelings are unacceptable, or that we should not be feeling them, such as anger towards someone else who's hurt us. We sometimes feel guilty about these feelings. In any case, stuffing our feelings can cause a number of problems, including physical symptoms from stress. And these symptoms include headaches, stomach aches, and even back aches. They can also cause psychological symptoms, such as increasing anxiety and depression. Now, when we dump our feelings, which is the second way we sometimes try to change our feelings, we find someone on whom we can let all our feelings out, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And in some ways, we almost vomit our feelings on another person. Usually, we don't intend to change. We just need a shoulder to cry on and to cry on, and to cry on. Although momentarily helpful to us, it may overwhelm the person on the receiving end and leave them rattled or unsettled by what we shared. And when we dump our feelings, we only feel relief for a little while. It is never lasting. And finally, the third and most common response to bad feelings is to numb our pain. Addictions to food, drugs, alcohol, money, work, sex, television, or even relationships are ways we numb our pain. Addictions are anything that absorb our time, our energy, our thought, and our emotions over and above anything else. 
They are the way we escape our painful feelings. Although providing momentary relief, addictions inevitably cause more pain than they ease. And of course, some addictions are dangerous, such as addictions to drugs, alcohol, or sex. Some are socially acceptable, such as addictions to money, work, and success. Whatever the addiction, they serve to numb rather than change how we feel. Oh, and by the way, let me make one more observation about the harm we can do when trying to change and change our emotions and make ourselves feel better. Ironically, in our attempt to feel better by either stuffing, dumping, or numbing our feelings, we actually make our situation and ultimately ourselves worse than they are. What I mean by this is that we end up feeling the very thing we're trying to avoid. By either stuffing, dumping, or numbing our painful feelings, we create situations with others that create the very pain we're trying to avoid. Say, for example, when we stuff our feelings, after an argument with our spouse, we may come across as somewhat distant or aloof. This, in turn, can cause our spouse to react negatively towards us, which causes more painful feelings, which can result in even more pain for us. Remember, if you don't transform your feelings, you will transmit your feelings. Let me repeat that. If you don't transform your feelings, you'll transmit your feelings. And that's what we do when we stuff, dump, and numb our feelings. Instead of transforming our feelings, we transmit them because we don't really do anything with our feelings. We don't allow ourselves to be transformed. So where do we go from here? So far, we've only learned about activating events, that is, the things that happen to us that are painful, and consequential emotions of our lives. That is the A and C of the ABCs of mental health. Now we are ready to consider the most important letter of all, our beliefs. As you can see from the graphic, when a di distressing event A happens to us, or an activating event, it doesn't directly cause the distressing feelings or the consequential emotions. But rather, and this is key, what we believe about what happened to us, and not necessarily what happened to us, has the most significant influence on what we feel. Let me repeat that. When we believe what we believe about what happened to us, and not necessarily what happens to us, has the most significant influence on what we believe. Put simply, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. The heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Our beliefs are the heart of the matter. Trying to change our circumstances or how we feel are only superficial changes. Real change begins with our heart, which according to scripture is the seat or very center of who we are and includes our emotions, our thoughts, and our will. Paul states this another way in his letter to the Romans when he instructs the believers that they are to be renewed by the transforming of your minds. Be renewed, and there's the word, transforming of your minds. That is transforming your beliefs. And in this first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul makes an even bolder statement that through our relationship with Christ, 
we can have the mind of Christ. How then do we begin to do that? We will find out in part two of the ABCs of mental health, having the mind of Christ.